You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair. The Mel- <laughs> You threw me off with your gestures, David. The Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we are watching and discussing each episode of the show one by one in chronological order. Dude, I've been trying to mess up that intro for like six weeks now. Yeah. I finally did it. Longer than six weeks. I think so. So you started doing that in season one. Yeah. <laughs> it, it finally threw me. Yes! I think the thing that threw me is that you started to do what you always do and then you stopped. Yeah. It, it, it threw off my rhythm. It's a new tactic. It's effective. It's clearly. Oh, it's gonna be such a good episode. See, I haven't even said the title and we're off topic, David. I haven't even introduced myself. Today we are discussing Mini Bike, which originally aired April 29th of 2001, was directed by Ken Quapis, written by Michael Glaberman. Hi, I'm Jake, and we should do more episodes half-assed. And I'm David, and remember, we burned his house down. I considered that one for mine as well. My backup was, if, <laughs> if you can't keep a squirrel in your podcast, they should really put a sign up. Before we get to this week's episode, we have our community segment. There's no noise for that one, David. You don't have to gesture like there's a noise. Why is there not a noise? Uh, because I, I, I don't have one. Make one. Maybe we'll do that season three. First off, we've got some poll results. Of course we do. From Twitter for polling. Ah, such a good episode. Sorry. I really wish there was a way to like make it so people could vote twice on that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I saw the way you did it. I thought that was clever, but yeah, that would have been great. Or I honestly thought you were going to put out two different polls. I considered it, but I thought that would be too confusing, especially yeah. given that we were like pretty unanimous, weirdly, on all of our choices for that episode. Yeah, we were actually, yeah. But for our awards, obviously because of the split timeline, we had, uh, you know, two choices for all of our Shittiest and Least Shitty Kid awards, which for uh, Shittiest Kid, we chose Dewey in one plotline and Reese in the other and the community was split perfectly in half. Half the votes were for Reese, half were for Dewey which I thought was great. Oh, uh, that's funny. Then for least shitty kid, uh, in one plotline we chose Dewey and in the other plotline we chose Francis, which the, the, the community was slightly less in agreement for that one with us. 60% uh, did choose Francis, but Dewey was the only kid to not get any votes. What? Yeah, uh, second place was a tie between Reese and Malcolm with 20% each. Okay. But aside from our poll results, uh, we, we've also got some other podcasts to talk about, as we were recently on File Under Entertainment, which is co-hosted by our friend Eric, who has been on the show before and will be on again soon. Yep, couple weeks. Yes, for the uh, M episode of their show, where we talked about The Matrix, Mean Girls, uh, Memento, and of and, course, and, Jake's and, and, and you know, and, and another movie, <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Uh, <laughs> it was a ton of fun. We appreciate them having us on. Boy, is that an interesting episode of their show. Uh, yeah, as you might imagine, uh, trying to talk about four movies in the span of one episode. It, it was real long. It, it, three hours. It was a three-hour episode. That's insanity. Yeah, but it, it was a ton of fun and uh, a lot of good laughs in there. So definitely go and check their podcast out there. They're both super cool guys and uh, it's a great show. Uh, and I will also be on another podcast coming up soon called The Writer's Thoughts, hosted by my good buddy Joe. Writes, and it is a general video gaming podcast where we talk about pretty much everything from superheroes to video game topics and all the latest news in, as he puts it, 
all things geekdom. It's a lot of fun. He has a lot of cool people from the streaming community and video game communities on to talk about different sort of superhero and video game culture. Then the last little bit for our community segments, we do have some emails. Of course we do. Uh, we, we, we got some more emails from Grace. And the first one, you'll notice a theme here, is entitled, You're Wrong Part 2. But it is in reference to bullying. Uh, but this time, I am the one who is being called wrong. Ah! Ha! I think, I think specifically because you requested that I better get emails saying I was wrong. Because the email just very simply states, A tube is hollow, obviously. P.S. I'm sure there will be many more parts. Wow. Which, I mean, we all know, tube and cylinder, they're synonyms. No! Same thing. Same thing. Jacob, you're wrong. You you and Grace are entitled to your opinions. It's it's a fact! Also, I hate you. Also, thank Uh, you, Grace. But, Grace did also immediately after that send us a, you're wrong part three. (laughs) And this one says, here I am again. Roasting a marshmallow does not involve catching it on fire ever. Letting it burn for a couple seconds, like you mentioned, leaves it black and gross on the outside, completely unmelted on the inside. I was almost (laughs) agreeing with David this episode until you said that. Uh, Still haven't heard awards, though. Grace? (laughs) She she, she didn't send us a part four, so apparently she didn't take too much issue with our awards. Who could? Our awards were perfect. Look, Grace, it's okay that you weren't taught how to cook things properly. Okay, that's a just general problem in our world today. And, you know, I I understand that not everyone understands cooking to the level that Reese and I do. And you're okay being wrong. Um, I, I don't hate you for it. And I don't think of you any less than. Now, Jake, he's seething over there about you calling him wrong. He's all red in the face right now. I just want the listeners to know, because David loves to bring it up when it's reversed. David has such a smug look on his face right now. It's like looking in a mirror, and I'm disgusted. You should be, because this is what I see all the time, and it's awful. Uh, Also, David, you don't cook marshmallows, you roast them. That's the fucking issue. Grace is right about this, not about tubes being hollow. Tubes are hollow. Yeah, that's crazy, dog. Also, (laughs) look, you can do whatever you want with your marshmallows. There needs to be a little, you know, brown crust on the marshmallow or else it doesn't taste good. It's like you didn't even heat it up. No, you, you roast it. Until it has that. Because can, then, then it's that way all the way through. It's great. You can do that. It's great. If, look, you can do that if you have time to waste. I <laughs> create content. I stream. I am a dad. I work full time. It takes like 10 more seconds. <laughs> that is 10 more seconds that I'll never have back in my life, Jake. You stick it in there, catch it on fire, blow it out real fast. Bam. Time fucking saved. I am a time saver. I know my time management, damn it. All of those microseconds that I am saving every day doing things the way I do them add up to the few extra hours that allow me to do things like make this podcast. Uh, David, I've got bad news for you. The tangents we go on this podcast just erase any time you've saved in your life. That's what I just said. I have to save time everywhere else so that I have time for the podcast. Are you not even listening? It's like you don't even hear what I say. All right. Let's go to this week's episode. (laughs) So starting with the cold open. Starts with Lois 
looking under her bed, and she finds a wrapped Christmas present, which initially they assume is for one of the boys, naturally. And Hal is talking about how they take everything for granted anyways. They should just save it for their next birthday. They won't know the difference. I mean... Then Lois says, it's for you, Hal, and he very excitedly runs over to immediately open it. I knew you got me that DVD player I wanted. I've been holding a grudge secretly about this for months. And he's very excited because now he can play all those DVDs he's had hidden in the garage. Yeah. God, that's such a dad thing. <laughs> Clearly bought the DVDs, assuming he was going to get a DVD player for Christmas. Yeah, it's like that story of buying... I want to say it was my boss. I'm pretty sure it's my boss who told me that story. Like, he bought a CD in hopes that, like, his parents would get him a CD player. Yeah, yeah, you've told that story out here before, actually. Have I? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've heard it, but yes. <laughs> who thinks like that? Manipulative people. That's who thinks like that. I mean, the boy's got to get it somewhere. But he opens the uh, present, and it is, in fact, not a DVD player. Oh, jumper cables. To be fair to Lois, it's a little more than just jumper cables. It's a whole roadside emergency kit. Yeah, but as a, uh, a dad uh, who's not super mechanically inclined, like Hal most of the time, until he's super mechanically inclined. It's it's jumper cables. We, we don't use the rest of it. But he says that, like, very clearly trying to hide his disappointment. <laughs> that line comes across very differently to me. <laughs> because, as you know, I have this weird... So I'm a super loud animated person, normally. But, like, when people do, like, nice shit for me, I, I don't know how to take it very well, I guess. I don't know. But, like, I'm not very animated about it. Um, I've over the last couple years had to like learn to force myself to be animated about it because I used to feel like I hurt my wife's feelings because she would buy me like super cool stuff for Christmas and like my reaction would be like oh that's awesome thanks dear and she would look at me like I just kicked her puppy and I'm like oh yeah (laughs) I've had to learn to step it up a bit Uh, I understand that very similar you know except that I'm like that with everything Yeah, all the time. It's so annoying. (laughs) I've been told that giving me bad news and good news, I react exactly the same. Most of the time. I believe it. Most of the time. It's, oh. Yeah. yeah, You're the worst. It's it's my reaction to, you know, getting the greatest present I've ever received. Or the worst. Uh, Yeah, I literally, I think I saw you the most excited I've ever been, uh, like, in the room with you when I gave you... For absolutely no reason, a Pokeball and uh, thing from uh, Sam's Club. You said three whole sentences. Yeah. Yeah, you said thank you four times. Yeah. I was about ready to fall off the couch. (laughs) Anyways, what are you doing? Don't we have like a summary to do or something? You're really off the rails tonight, Jake. I hate you. So getting into the episode proper, we just have an F-plot and an A-plot. This time around, we've got an F-plot, which includes Hal, and we've got the A-plot, which includes everyone else, uh, including Craig. That is true. But as always, we will start with the F-plot. Yeah, I mean, why not? And it begins in the Wilkerson's kitchen, as Hal is talking about how excited he is to go to the Academy's father-son weekend with Francis. I had something very different pictured than what ends up happening. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Uh, And I feel like that might partially be because when Hal's, like, describing why he's excited, it sounds like sort of like a camping trip type deal. Right, it sounds like what you'd expect. It sounds like a very Boy Scout-esque, like, father-son weekend. 
Yeah. Um, which, given Spangler's, like, insistence upon, you know, survival and, like, their Stanley's uh, naked camouflage wilderness survival uh, weekend, I 100% just envisioned kind of like weekends with, like, your dad and mine where we just pack rucksacks and go up in the mountain and, okay, we're camping. Yeah. It seems weird, but although I guess it does fall within, like, the sort of gender norms of, like, the hyper-traditionalist military stuff to have, like, just a father-son, like... This is sort of, like, a slightly more than a parent-teacher conference thing. There's, like, an award ceremony, like you would have at the end of a regular school year at a regular school. And a fancy banquet dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But, uh, that, that, that is what it is. And one last little tidbit before we actually go to the Academy with Hal. <laughs> While Hal and Lois are talking about it, uh, Lois is saying, you know, she wishes she could go, but, but it's for men only, and Hal's offering to sneak her in as a secret lover. <laughs> and they start, like, making out in the kitchen, and then Craig very creepily is watching them. Yeah, it's super Craig. I mean, super creepy. Uh, and, uh, and then he starts to answer Hal. When he's talking to Lois, like, uh, he says, uh, bye, honey, or something like that, or, or and, uh, they both answer at the same time. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, I didn't know if you were gonna put that in, in the A plot or the, uh, F plot, so. Fair. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's such a weird, very on-brand Craig moment. Yep. Then, at the Academy, like, like I said, it, uh, starts with the sort of stereotypical, like, end of academic year, or, like, uh, end of, uh, athletic season, like, award banquet. Uh, if they're all, you know, sitting in the little folding chairs, for some reason, Drew and his dad are, uh, performing with, uh, cups of water. Uh, there, there's a word for that, but I can't remember what it is. Is it just a water table? Is it? It's something like that. I don't remember. Hang on. Google's a thing. I seem to be getting a lot of different responses to Google on what to call it. And YouTube is even worse. Uh, glass harp is the phrase, is the, the, the wording I've seen before for it. It's, there it is. That's what I, okay. So glass harp is the layman's term for it. There is a, a official name for it and it is a hydrolophone. Okay. That makes sense. Wait, is it? No. That is wrong. Google's an asshole. Like, the first four things are wrong. Oh my god, why is that so hard to Google? Like, people, name your shit. I think the issue is there's there's also, like, the glass harmonica, which is the same thing, but when you blow into, like, different levels. Right, yeah. and it has the different, yeah, fair. Yeah. And then there's also, apparently, like, a hydraulic thing. Uh, that's the hydrolophone that is all based off of, like, hydraulic pistons or something. I don't know. I didn't finish reading the description. Yeah. There's a lot of weird instruments. There are. Why are we not using them more? I agree. Like, one-man bands were a thing for a while. Let's make, like, mechanist bands. I want to see just, like, an entire factory of just weird-ass instruments make music. Be fun. Might not be good, but it'd be fun. Fair enough. <laughs> but after their performance, uh, Spangler gives out the award for best, is it sophomore or junior history report, which Cadet Eric gets. And as the camera, like, pans through the crowd, you can see that every other cadet has at least an award. Most of them, it looks like, have, like, two or three. Some of them have, like, whole piles in their lap. Except for Francis. 
The only cadet without one. Yes. And as a you know, cadet Eric is going up to accept his award, Francis says it was a really good report. Uh, I, I was set to get a C until he broke the curve. That's such a Francis line, and I believe it too. <laughs> I'm given the one history report we've seen from him, or at least his half of that report, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Eric is an overachiever. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably for that history report that we've seen. Well, no. No? Because we know that that was a group assignment, oh, yeah, that they fair. failed. I thought about that. Fair. <laughs> Maybe he just repurposed that one. Like, Maybe. just finished it himself. Maybe. I don't see him doing that, though. Yeah, you're right. He's probably too much of a super nerd. Yeah. He's a real Jake. Wow. Am I wrong? But uh, we also find out here that Eric has two dads. Is uh, They, like, uh, lean over and talk to Hal a bit uh, about how proud they are of Eric. Which, like... Briefly befuddles how. Yeah, it, this joke doesn't, like, super hold up, obviously, but also, given this show's track record with this type of thing, Hal handles it very well. Yeah, it, it, it could definitely be worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then, Spangler starts talking about the next award, which is the most improved, and as he's describing the cadet he's giving it to... You know, talking about how he arrived aimless... <laughs> purposeless, delinquent, but in only a year and a half, he's shown great promise, and he's not there yet, but he's really improved. And as he's saying all this, the camera is on Hal's face, and he's very clearly starting to, like, get a look of pride, very clearly expecting this to be Francis. He and, wants it to be Francis. Yeah. And instead, it goes to Cadet Gordy. Damn it, Gordy. Then, when we come back to this plot line, Hal is in Spangler's office talking to him, and he asks Spangler for a ray of hope. Did you notice the uh, new hand in this scene? I did not. Uh, he has a hand, a little prosthetic, that is literally just holding a Sharpie, and it's this little stick with a little curved end, and it's like perfect size to just snap onto a Sharpie. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty great. Nice catch. Yeah, I had to. I mean, it was... That's your thing. Yeah, right? Look, I don't have the bathroom anymore. People ruin that. So I gotta have something. They could have let me have it for like three more episodes, all I'm saying. No. No, they let you have it for too long. I hate you. But Spangler does not give Hal his ray of hope. He tells him Francis has no interest in learning. He's only interested in causing trouble. That's probably accurate. I mean, it's not, but, like, it kind of is. Yeah. Like, there's definitely way more to Francis than that. Like, don't get me wrong. Yes. But from Spangler's point of view, and when it involves Spangler, probably yes. Fair. <laughs> Francis has locked himself into this sort of role of competitor with Spangler no matter what at this point. Yeah. yeah. And the no interest in learning is definitely true. Yeah. But he has nothing positive to say about Francis. And Hal, Hal even directly asks him if there's anything he can give him. And Spangler just stares at him in silence. And Hal gets up to leave and Spangler says, Wait, do you want chicken or fish for the banquet tonight? And it just absolutely crushes Hal when he realizes he has nothing positive to say about his son. Yes. Which I, I get. Like, I don't know, there's a weird sort of thing and it shouldn't be a thing but it really is like the firstborn son there's a there is a connection within our society to that and it creates this sort of expectation 
with fathers and sons. And I don't know. This this episode is interesting, and I, I, I really liked the Hal and Francis arc. Yeah. Uh, because of this sort of dynamic, and we'll get to really why I like it here in a minute. But Fair enough. Well, then Hal is sitting with Francis in the common area, and he's going through the yearbook, which Francis is not in. Uh, well. <laughs> Hal is, Hal is uh, like flipping through all the assorted clubs and groups and saying, you know, why hasn't Francis joined any of these? And then he, that's when he points out that he's not even in the yearbook, and Francis tells him to look under P, the hut. <laughs> Hal says he doesn't want to, and Francis explains the joke to him, or tries to. He says, no, if you say it fast. <laughs> and Hal cuts him off. And Hal, tell, uh, you know, explains that he's upset because they've, you know, taken this extreme measure of sending him to military school, and it seems like he still just hasn't improved at all. He, he doesn't know what to do to help Francis behave better. Then, the, the last major scene for this plot line, sort of the climax of it, it's like, time for all of the dads to leave. Eric is hugging one of his dads, who's very upset about having to leave. And the other dad is reassuring him that, you know, that I'll see him at Christmas. And one of the other cadets, like, gives them a look. And Cadet Eric, like, threatens them. Which I appreciated. <laughs> then, uh, one of the other unnamed cadets is hugging his dad and his shirt becomes untucked. And seeing this, Spengler marches over and starts scolding him. You know, saying they taught him better than that. They taught him to respect the uniform. And Francis, uh, in usual fashion, stands up for the cadet against Spengler. And yeah, he says he, it can't be against the rules for him to hug his dad. Spangler says that uh, this is a good opportunity to show how, you know, what he means about Francis being disobedient. But he brings up two other examples. Uh, one, he had a cadet doing 600 laps for uh, having their pillowcase inside out. And Francis staged a sit-in. Uh, and then the other example he gives is he shut off power to the fifth floor and Francis uh, got a generator and turned the power back on. There was another one, wasn't there? I thought there was three. Uh, no, he only mentions two. Oh, I did skip over, though. We get a little bit of one of Francis' pranks while Hal is looking at the yearbook. One of the other cadets comes over with his dad, you know, saying, This is Francis! Very clearly excited. And the dad asks, How did you get that cow up on the roof? And Francis says, The cow wasn't the problem. The parachute was. <laughs> you know those things don't open unless you're thousands of feet in the air? Oh my god, Francis. <sighs> but seeing that this is the, you know, sort of thing that uh, Francis is doing, Hal uh, looks proud as, as he, like, puts his hand on Francis's shoulder while, while Spangler is continuing to, you know, go on his little rant about how Francis is an agent of chaos. <laughs> then the last little tidbit is Hal actually leaving, and as he's pulling away... Well, I, I don't know, there's more to that last scene. Okay. Hal uh, interrupts Spangler, and he asks him, like, and and every time he does this, uh, he's he's standing up to you when you do one of these things, and and uh, as he's asking uh, the questions to Spangler, and Spangler confirms it, he like the the realization of the conflict between Spangler and Francis, and the role that Francis is is taking on becomes clear to Hal, and you can very clearly see it in his facial expressions. Yeah, and it is also worth mentioning, one of the complaints Hal had when he was, you know, telling Francis off earlier was 
knows that uh, he, he says that Francis only ever thinks of himself, uh, and and these are clear counterexamples to that. Then uh, that, that last little scene is as Hal is like pulling away, uh, he's you know he's saying bye, love you, son. Francis, you know, yells back, love you too, dad, while he is digging a hole. Presumably as part of Spangler's, uh, you know, one of his known frequent punishments of having the cadets dig and then refill holes. Yeah, it's it's one of those classic military school punishments, you know. Yeah. Allegedly. But I don't know. I love this plot. And that's how you, uh, punish kids uh, in the desert. But really, you're looking for treasure. There's some kind of poison lizards or something. Yeah, they don't fill the holes back in, though. They just dig the holes. I, I, I don't know. I, I never actually watched that movie. What? Or read that book. You've never seen <laughs> Holes? No. What is wrong with you? That explains so much about you and how much is missing wow. from your soul. Because I haven't seen Holes? Correct. It's a formative movie, Jake. You have to is watch it? it in your formative years. Yeah. Well, I don't think so. Yeah. This is why you are the way you are. Okay. I'm fine with this. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you've learned to accept it, finally. <laughs> can't believe you've never seen Holes. I'm going to hold that over your head for a long time now. Okay. I'm fine with that. I don't feel like I've missed a big thing. I was not expecting that reaction. Really? It's, Have I, you been on the internet? I, 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 yeah, I feel like it's more, like, referenced as, like, meme than, like, the great movie. I feel like it was the, the Shrek before Shrek. That's why I feel like Holes is, based just on its internet reputation. You okay there, David? Can we move on? I moved on beyond your pathetic life, Jacob. Wow. <laughs> Look, to be fair, there's plenty of things that are better than holes. But it's just one of those things. I, like, I don't know how you escaped the 90s without watching that movie. It was fucking everywhere. And it was pretty good. Like, obviously, I went overboard just to mess with you. But, like, like it wasn't, like, that good. But it, it was good. It was really good. And it was everywhere. Like, on every channel. I don't know how you escaped watching that movie, dude. Good taste. What is... It was a good movie. Okay. I believe you. But that... I feel like that's the consensus that it's a fine movie. It's not, you know, anything exceptional. It's no Iron Man 3 universally no, no. loved by all. I... <laughs> You even dislike that movie. No, I don't. Comparatively. That's not one of my favorites. I do think it's underrated. Underrated from what? And like the general, you know, It's a MCU one and it should ranking. be a two? No. No. I think it's a good movie with a bad ending. It's a good movie with a bad ending and a bad villain. True. Yeah. But to be fair, that's most MCU movies. <laughs> wow. Rough. I would disagree with that statement. But we're getting way off base here. Your bad taste needs to be a whole nother podcast at this point. Okay, so I, I guess we'll move to the A plot while David shakes his head in disappointment at me. The whole thing shook me. The Iron Man 3 thing just cuts me off at the knees, man. Why? It makes perfect sense. And we talked about it yesterday. <laughs> Literally. I know. That's The A plot... You netted all that out, right? Begins... With Craig in the bathroom singing a song from Chorus Line. Sorry, no, because I looked it up. Oh, okay. I was about to ask if you knew that just off the top of your head. God, no. I was going to be really shocked, because we all know you love musicals, but I, I would be surprised if you could keep them all straight. So the A-plot. Yeah, yeah, let's get back to that. Craig was singing <laughs> Craig, show tunes or some such yes. thing. And he is making a huge mess. 
Well, outside of the bathroom, all of the Wilkersons are lined up waiting for him. And Hal says he's waited long enough, he's gonna get a coat hanger to pick the lock, and he's going to go in there. But Reese says he did that yesterday and he doesn't advise it. It's better to just wait for him to finish. But Craig does fairly quickly finish up in the bathroom and get out, just leaving his gigantic mess behind for the Wilkersons. This is also where we get our first instance of the recurring line from Lois, as Hal is complaining about, uh, you know, the, the mess that Craig has left behind after making them all wait. He starts to say something, and Lois stops him and says, We burned his house down. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to know how! Then, while the boys are walking home from school, presumably, that they're all walking together, then as they're walking past the garbage truck, Dewey stops them. Because he spots a minibike, and uh, they, they all walk up to it, and they have a little montage of each of their fantasies, with Malcolm's being him doing, like, a stunt jump on the minibike, then Reese's, there's a girl who, like, waves at him, smiling, like, on the side of the road next to a puddle, and he, like, splashes her with the puddle. And then Dewey's completely disconnected fantasy is him with six arms and a cookie in each hand. <laughs> a giant cookie in each hand. There you go, yeah. Uh, to be fair, that'd be pretty cool. That would be. I can't dispute that. Then they talk to the trash man. You know, they say that they want to take it, and he says, why? It's trash. And he says, he wouldn't know trash if he saw it. He says, well, I am a garbage man. <laughs> and... And Malcolm still wants to take it. He says, how much is it worth to you? <laughs> and as Malcolm is like saying, you know, he was just going to throw this away and he just said it's trash and they don't have any money. Behind him, Reese is pulling out a lot of cash. <laughs> Presumably from Lois's wallet. Maybe. We'll never know, David. But he takes out $30 and offers that for the mini bike, which he takes. Yep. Malcolm asks... Where did you get $30? Bree says, what are you, a cop? No, Malcolm has nowhere near enough fake self-confidence for that. Wow. I mean, fair, but it's just not expecting that from you. Why, they're people too. Everybody's self-confidence is bullshit 90% of the time. Fair, I suppose. <laughs> uh, except for mine. But back at home, Craig is working out... While listening to a uh, maniac, he has those like elastic bands that like hook onto something and work sort of like weight resistance. But his exercise is interrupted as Lois comes over and asks if he can make dinner for the boys tonight because she'll be at work late. I'll be in charge. As Craig is immediately concerned. You know, he wants to make sure that he will be in charge of the boys in this situation. They have to listen to him. And then he, like, plays out a little fantasy when she, like, walks away after saying, Sure, you're in charge. Where he's doing, like, a tough guy routine. Yeah, he's, like, he's, like, fake uppercutting with the bands. And he's saying something like, dance. Now, you, you want to dance? That's right. I'm in charge now. That's right. Yep. Oh, my God. Then uh, in the garage, the boys are working on fixing up the mini bike. They've already cleaned it. They've found that uh, you know, it still has a good paint job. It was just dirty. And Malcolm says, yeah, all the parts that he needs, he can steal off of the lawnmower. Yes. Take the parts off Dad's lawnmower. He won't care. Yeah. That means he gets to fix his lawnmower. Is a real pa how pastime. Yeah. 
We've seen him doing it frequently. Yeah. And now we know why. <laughs> right, yeah. I was say, probably because Malcolm has tried to fix a bunch of things in the past. Then their cooperative spirit begins to fall apart <laughs> when Reese says that he, you know, the first thing he's going to do with it is he's going to go to the principal's house and he's going to do donuts in his lawn. And uh, going off of this, Malcolm starts to lay out a schedule, you know, saying that Reese can have it tomorrow and Wednesday. And then he you know, starts to continue divvying up the time when Reese says, Why are you in charge? You're not the boss of me. He's got a point. I mean, it is in the theme song. Exactly. So it's got to be true. Exactly. But also, I do like Malcolm's, I gave you the first day. Yeah. That sounds like such a it's such a kid argument. Like, Yes. And I, it uh, devolves into all three of them arguing over who gets to set the schedule. Who gets the mini bike on what days. Dewey demands it on Sundays. Yes. Which Malcolm takes issue with. And I don't know why. No, that makes perfect sense. It's one of the weekend days. Oh, okay. That, that's, that's prime real estate right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't yeah. think about it that way. Then uh, we get like a little... See, it kind of reminds me of the uh, that 70s show. Uh, it's not quite the same, but like the uh, spinning camera. Oh, uh, Whenever yeah, they're getting yeah. high in the basement. It's like, it's sort of the opposite of that. It's like going around them instead of being in the center of them. Yeah, it's like it's like that camera shot, but from the outside. Yeah. As they very quickly... <laughs> escalate their confrontation. Reese says that Dewey is too short to even ride the mini bike. Uh, Dewey says he's too stupid. Yes. They, they tell uh, Reese tells Malcolm that you know they're not the loser his loser Krellboy friends. They don't have to listen to him. Normal people don't have to listen to him specifically what he says. Just punch him already. <laughs> so Dewey calls for Reese to punch Malcolm and Malcolm <laughs> points out that Reese has no friends. Mom said you're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> Which finally phases Reese. <laughs> Poor Reese. Yeah, that, that, that is a low blow. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad but true. Uh, then we uh, get a bit of Craig's dinner that he's prepared for the boys. It actually looks pretty good. I, I was going to say, which to be fair to Craig, it, it actually looks like a really good meal that he's prepared. It does. It's like peas. Like, it looks like more food than what Lois would prepare. Yeah, it also doesn't have the, like, intentionally gross quality that they often give food in this show when Lois makes it. Correct. Like, he has, like, it looks like some roast beef or something on the table, and it actually looks really good. Yeah, there's a couple different things. Like, it almost looks like there's a couple different, like, main dishes. Because, like, it almost looks like chicken, like, fried chicken at one point on the one plate. But then it looks like pot roast on the other. Yeah. And then there's, like, mashed potatoes, and there's peas, clearly. Because uh, Reese even asked <laughs> if he can have more. <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> he asked if he's smart enough to have more peas. I don't think there's any requirement on that, buddy. And when Craig asked what Dewey did today, he said, Nothing, I'm too short. <laughs> but Craig reassures him that he probably has one of the biggest heads in his class, though. <laughs> oh my god. Because that'll help. And Craig tells them a story of when he was a boy and he was living worry-free, just spending all day with his imaginary brother building forts. It's a nice little insight into Craig's backstory. I see Craig as like that only kid who his parents were like super overprotective but also like he's a latchkey kid he's got parents who are like don't go in the den there's like dangerous stuff in there but also we'll be back at like nine fix yourself dinner do your homework okay i can see how you get those vibes from craig also it's just 
he's in that generation. Fair. Malcolm gets up and goes to the garage, which of course Dewey and Reese immediately follow him, not trusting him. And after they're all gone, Craig says, you're all dismissed. <laughs> Kids. Man, out in the garage, Malcolm has finished fixing the bike and they all start arguing over who gets to start it first. And they're like wrestling over it, uh, turning it on, like revving the engine with them all like leaning on it. Then Lois comes in and takes the key and says, none of you are riding it. What are you thinking? No motorcycles. But it's not a motorcycle. It's a mini bike. It's specifically designed for kids. And she says, two wheels, motor, that's a motorcycle. <laughs> and then chains it to the table. Yes, which the no motorcycles line will be a recurring plot point of the show. Okay, interesting. Then we get like a little montage of, of the boys' methods, their, each of their individual methods of trying to get Lois to change her mind. It starts with Malcolm saying he's looked over their tax records and he's pretty sure he can save her $1,200 if she will let them ride the bike. And she says no. Then Reese! Uh, <laughs> Do we want to talk about... Maybe we just skip over Reese's. It's pretty bad. It's real bad. In fact, it's really shitty. Yeah. He's a monster. Yeah. And since we're skipping over that, <laughs> for saving it for later, uh, Dewey's method is just throwing himself on the ground in the kitchen, screaming. Uh, he wants it. What does he say? I want it, I want it, I want it. Oh, I don't remember what comes after that. He says something else. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he's yelling, but it ends with his signature just high-pitched high scream. Yeah, I, I'm at this point accustomed to tuning out tantrums already. The last year and a half have taught me that, so I immediately, I'm not even going to lie, tuned out that scene. Wow. <laughs> Look, I love Eric for Sullivan and I love Dewey, but uh, even perfect angels have to grow up and mature, and, and part of that is throwing tantrums. Okay. And as a good parent, you just tune it out. And when they're done, you pick them up and give them love. Then uh, Malcolm, we, we get a second attempt from Malcolm. As Lois is taking a shower, uh, he has like a, lo looks like a several page document in his hands. And he says he will give Lois information about every mysteriously destroyed or missing item in the house for the last several years. Yeah, it's like a dossier of yeah. broken shit. But she still says no. Good for you, Lois. Stand up to the CIA. I could see Malcolm ending up in the CIA. Me too. He's manipulative and shitty enough. Wow. <laughs> I mean, true, but still. <laughs> then, while Lois is, like, putting together laundry, uh, which Craig initially tells her she shouldn't even think about doing his laundry, but then, after, like, talking about it for a bit, says, but on the other hand, you don't want to waste electricity, so if you could just throw these in with yours, and gives her his laundry bag. <laughs> At least it was in a laundry bag. Yeah. Uh, he does also have clothes like spread all throughout their den though including a shirt over the lamp which was i don't know why it was a no yes actually i do know why i just realized why that bothered me but anyways that fucking drives me up a wall especially since his previous house burned down that's a big fire hazard gotcha and it bugs me because my work part of my job before i got promoted one of the things i used to always have to yell at people for was like they'd try to dim their lamps by like covering them with socks or like handkerchiefs or 
shirts and things like that. I used to always have to yell at people for that. So now seeing clothing on top of lamps just triggers me. Gotcha. Uh, but the boys approach Lois, uh, this time with a united front, to try to get her to change her mind by providing themselves with safety regulations. They say that they'll wear helmets and uh, knee pads and elbow pads, no matter how dorky it makes them look, and they'll only ride at the park and only with her supervision. But once again, she says no. And Malcolm says, you you can't just give no as your answer no matter what. And he presents a hypothetical of he's a professional athlete who's trained in simulations for 15 years, covered in a protective Kevlar a suit and a field of marshmallows, which he still say no. And she says that she would. <laughs> It's the principle of the matter at this point. Yes. Yeah. Well, we, we will get an explanation for why Lois is so anti-motorcycle later on. Like I said, this is a recurring plot point. Okay. And uh, Craig says that the boys sound pretty reasonable to him. <laughs> of course, Lois snaps at him to stay out of it. I live here too. And I believe as she's walking away from that, we, we get another, uh, we burned his house down. <laughs> Uh-huh. Then, in their room, the boys are talking about how great it was when they were working on the bike together. They were really bonding. <laughs> it's the closest they've ever been. And, uh, Malcolm points out that they still could be a great team. They, they could work together against Lois. And Malcolm sees, uh, a picture up on the shelf, and he gets an idea. Which we then see implemented as Lois comes in from work, and Malcolm and Dewey are waiting for her. The picture in hand. And it is a picture of Lois when she was about Dewey's age riding a horse. And they try to uh, point out to her that you know, riding a horse is also dangerous. And the fall is much higher. You know, it's two feet from a mini bike. It's like six feet from the back of a horse. From a galloping horse. A galloping horse, yeah. Uh, and she's not wearing any protective gear of any kind. And when Lois, like, starts to try to say something, Dewey cuts her off and says, we're asking the questions here. Uh, Gestapo Dewey. <laughs> uh, L L Lois, uh, after all of this, yeah, still tells them no and gets up and, and walks away, but she looks rattled, which Malcolm notes. They're getting through. Then they go uh, into the bedroom where Reese is laying in bed reading a comic book with uh, one leg under a blanket. And they tell him that, you know, they're getting through to mom. Uh, they He thinks that they're going to be able to ride the bike after all. And Reese says, no, we won't. And when Malcolm asks why, he says, because it's broken. I took it out for a ride and mom was right. It is dangerous. Uh, Reese. And he pulls the blanket off of his leg and there is a bone jutting out uh, under the skin. Uh, he has clearly, severely broken his leg on the mini bike. Yeah, it is, uh, it, it looks real gnarly. It does. Like, I'm glad they didn't do, like, a break where it's, like, piercing the skin. Yeah, I think that would have been too much. Yeah, but it's, it's very clearly out of place and a full break. And then... A sight I saw many times growing up. Uh-huh. And it's awful every time. Yep. But, of course, Malcolm starts yelling at Reese, uh, calling him an idiot. Then, uh, Dewey just, like, sighs. Uh, it has a line that I'll save for later. Same. Then, uh, as they're starting to argue, uh, Lois comes in and they all very quickly, like, sit on the bed in front of Reese's leg to hide it. And Lois says that she feels like she owes them an explanation, but 
Before she gets any further, Reese immediately starts yelling at her about how she should trust them. There's no way for her to know that they would get her if they took the bike out. And she, she comes over to them and she offers to, you know, take them to the skate park. That's trying to make peace. Which immediately Malcolm says, no, he's tired. And Reese says, yeah, and I want to get a head start on next week's homework. Yeah, and immediately with that line, Lois knows something's wrong. Yes, which she starts to investigate. But before she can, Craig yells from the kitchen, uh, distracting her. And she goes out to deal with him instead. I mean, he had a real emergency, Jake. He did? He had a pickle emergency. Yes. Uh, He's standing in the kitchen holding a jar of pickles in one hand and an individual pickle in the other. Uh, And the jar is clearly labeled Craig. And he tells Lois uh, he's been keeping track of exactly how many pickles he's been eating. And uh, he is one short. And Lois asks, are you counting the one you're holding? And Craig, like, looks down and uh, realizes his mistake. And he says, oh, my mistake. (laughs) God, Craig. Come on, man. Pull yourself together. Well, they burned his house down. They sure did. Which Lois says once again. Sure does. (laughs) Sounding increasingly frustrated as she tells herself this. Yeah, Craig is the worst house guest in the world. I mean, true. But he did take better care of the house than Hal did. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, I got nothing. And they burned his house down. And they burned his house down. <laughs> that was Lois's fault, though. True. <laughs> Hal and Dewey just got him, you know, robbed and a bunch of extra animals and some graffiti. Like, he still had a place to live. Granted, it looked like a rundown Motel 8, but he still had it. Yes. Lois just went salt the earth on it. True. Then, uh, back in the room, Malcolm is putting ice on Reese's leg, trying to get the swelling to go down. But it doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, he says, what, it's been 20 minutes or two hours? I can't remember how long. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, no, I do remember, because he says, it's been two hours, and I'm thinking, oh my god, you shouldn't ice it for more than 20 minutes. Well, it could have been two hours since the injury. To be fair. Maybe, but that's... I, I didn't... I don't know. I didn't Maybe. feel like that was the implication. It, it felt to me like Malcolm's like, dude, we've been icing this for two hours and it's not going down. Which, by the way, don't ever do that. No more than 20 minutes. But Malcolm says, yeah, they're, they're going to be doomed for the next five years anytime they ask for anything. They, they need a cover story. Which, I mean, that's a fair assumption, though. Yeah. Which Reese tells him... Uh, He'll have to come up with that on his own, because he's going to be screaming into his pillow for the next five minutes. I don't blame him. I've never broken my leg like that, but I've broken both my pinky toes real bad. And, uh, I don't know about for other places, but, like, broken bones just have that weird, like, random pain cycle. Yeah. God, it's awful. Yeah. I I can't really add anything, because I also have only broken my pinky toe. I've broken my wrist, and, like, all the little, what are they, metatarsals, I think, or metacarpals? Uh, metachlorians. No, they're not metachlorians, Jacob. <laughs> God. George Lucas broke those, not me. No, I I can't remember. And this is where, again, they're going to, like, email me and be like, you're an idiot, learn anatomy. I don't remember. I learned the bones once upon a time. But the little bones in your wrist, I, like, shattered them in my left arm. Does that sound great? Uh, no, it's still, because I didn't, you know, I was afraid to get in trouble. I think I've told that story before. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, they didn't heal right, so yeah. it still fucks with me from time to time. <laughs> My wrist will pop out, you know, no big deal. Yeah, fair, fair enough. The, the only, like, childhood medical thing that still comes back for me is I... I got fairly bad frostbite on my hands, like, mm. a few times as a kid. So now anytime it's cold, my hands just throb. Yep. 
It's not great. Yeah, no fair. Invest in gloves. I see that. That's why I got such bad frostbite. I cannot stand the feeling of gloves on my hands. I hate <laughs> it. But their plan, which is like instantaneously <laughs> come up with, is like after they're talking about, you know, they need to come up with a plan, they open the door and Craig is standing there uh, looking for jelly bean sweater. And <laughs> cuts straight from that to the plan in action as Malcolm is in Craig's truck with him and they're going to go across town to this ice cream place that Malcolm is insisting is the best in town. I'll Craig, be the judge of that. That is such a Jake line, if I've ever heard one. Fair. You say that all the time. True. We'll introduce something as, like, the best, or, you know, you have to try this, and Jake will just be like, I'll be the judge of that. Because I'm the judge. No, you're not. And the jury. No. Not the executioner. I, well, I'm well aware of that. But Malcolm's plan is, uh, as Craig is pulling out, Dewey has, uh, has set up a rock for uh, him to, like, thud over. Then he pulls the rock out of the way, and Reese puts his leg next to the tire to make it look like Craig ran his leg over. Not a bad plan, all in all. Yeah, it's not horrible. And uh, Reese starts yelling out, Ah, you broke my leg! And Dewey, not satisfied in his performance, just leans over and punches his broken leg, causing Reese to actually scream. Hey, it sold it. Commit to the bit. (laughs) It was a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. Was it, though? Yeah. But uh, Lois comes out of the house to investigate the screaming. Just ends with uh, Reese yelling, he ran my leg over. Then uh, inside on the couch, uh, Malcolm is talking to camera, saying he can't believe that plan worked. They only put like 30 seconds of planning into it. They should half-ass more things. And Lois comes in and she asks uh, how Reese's leg is and she offers to get them drinks. And when they say, yeah, they could use something to drink, she says, oh, and did you really think I wouldn't find the broken mini bike half buried in the sandbox? <laughs> I like to think that that's Reese's solution, and the other boys just never thought to be like, what did you do with the bike? Yeah, I assume the same. Yeah. (laughs) But as the boys are staring in horror up at Lois, waiting to see what she does with them, Craig comes in holding his suitcase and his cat and says that he's leaving now, and he's uh, so ashamed of what he did, he just can't meet their eye, and he leaves. And Lois says, we'll call this one a wash. She got what she wanted. The boys got to try. Well, Reese got to try what he wanted. Yeah. And and Lois was proven right. Realistically, this is a win-win for Lois, which equals a wash for the boys. That wraps the episode up. So let's go to our awards. Awards. What did you give your roller skating king award? Your award for the best visual moment. Man, it's like you read my notes before you start doing this, because rolling into that is perfect, because uh, it's in the scene that we just talked about. Jane Kaczmarek's face when she is confronting the boys, and as she, like, reveals that she found the dirt bike to the boys, the between just the lighting and the face she's making and the, the angle of the shot, it makes her look... Like, she doesn't look any more evil or anything, but it has sort of this, I don't know, sinister feel to the shot. And I love it. And then the the quick cut to the boys where they're all looking up and, and the the 
terror on their... I don't know. It just it was very relatable. Uh, it reminded me of getting busted as a kid. And the face that she makes and holds, knowing that she has this over them, and that they're terrified, and then looking to Craig and just letting it go. It's like you can see her feeling the power of that moment. And I loved it. Okay, fair enough. I chose Reese's Broken Leg. Yeah, I figured you would. It was awful, but it looked great. Yeah, it was a really good, I assume, just, just makeup work that they did. But uh, it, it looks like fairly authentic. Again, having seen many broken bones growing up, mostly from my dad and my older brother, uh, that, it, it does look like a severely broken and dislocated uh, bone. Yeah, it's it looks pretty good, especially in the parts where it's just like the ridged part and the veins are sticking out. Like the initial one is a little cheesy because like it's if it were protruding that much, you'd probably have a uh, a break that actually there's a term for it and I can't think of it. And why can't I think of it? It's gonna drive me nuts. But it's the break that actually exits the the skin. There's a term for that. Not necessarily. Well, like the it specifically it looks like. Uh, my my dad's broken leg, which did require major reconstructive surgery, but it, it never broke the skin. But it did have like you can tell just looking at it that this bone is not meeting up with the other bone. Oh yeah, yeah, you can absolutely tell that. But what I'm saying is the the original. It's much better in all the rest of the shots. The very first time they show it, the lump just seems way too far over and protruding. If that's your femur that's broken and pushing out that far you're probably rupturing through just because of the location of the break. But other than that, and it still looked good, like, because it still gave you the, like, ugh, and, like, gut, you know, sinking feeling of, oh, that's bad. But the rest of the time, it looked really, really good. Like, yeah. the one scene uh, where he's sitting on the bed and the lump's kind of gone, but you see, and it's almost kind of got, like, a rigid spinal look to it, which it does get, and you can see, like, a depression on the leg almost. Like, the, the makeup there is phenomenal. And, like, they they highlight the veins with, and they make a comment on it. You can see his heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, no, the I I have to agree. It's a, it's a really good Really good moment. And what did you give your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. It goes to Dewey when he's kneeling next to the bed next to Reese. As Malcolm is explaining that, you know, they're they're doomed for the next five years and all of this. And he says, sometimes you embarrass me. Talking about Reese and shakes his head and face palms. It is very good. It was also my first choice, but my backup choice actually is the comment that leads Dewey <laughs> to say that from Reese. Uh, when Malcolm asks him, you know, how much fun did he have on the mini bike, though, and the little bit he did ride it, Reese says it was great. He was having so much fun. He looked really cool in the reflection of the car windows up until I hit that mailbox. <laughs> uh, yes, and then Dewey just shakes his head, puts his hand in his head, or his head in his hands sometimes you embarrass me yeah <laughs> so good and who did you give favorite character i gave it to lois okay i love lois and also i just because of that ending scene i love the little knowing grin and the, we'll call this one a wash and also just the constant we burned his house down <laughs> i love that and i i cracked up every time you see that it made me laugh 
I chose Dewey as my favorite character. Fair. Uh, he just has a lot of really good lines in this episode. Like, when uh, Reese calls him short, he says, I'm in the top 40th percentile. <laughs> uh, and then there's the we're asking the questions here line. Punching uh, Reese in the leg. Yeah. Uh, and him uh, calling for Reese to punch Malcolm. Yeah. yeah. Just punch him already. It's so funny. Yeah. It's such a little brother thing to do. And who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best actor or actress? Well, speaking of Dewey, I actually gave it to Eric Persullivan. I, I really enjoy all of his scenes in this. I, I think uh, the young man does an excellent job uh, in this episode, as well as just the, the knowing little grin, like, right before he punches Reese, the, uh, the look on his face in the garage scene... The, uh, the little snarky look he has when he's being passive-aggressive at the dinner table about being too short to do anything. It's really advanced sort of emotional stages that he's conveying in some of these, and he does a really good job. I would argue even, and it's not an insult to him, but I think in some of these scenes he does a better job with his body language than even Frankie Muniz does. So I have to, I have to give it to him. Okay, fair enough. I chose David Anthony Higgins. Fair. As I've said in previous episodes, my favorite version of Craig is pathetic Craig. Uh, and I, I think we get a lot of that this episode. <laughs> and he just does such a great job of, like, pr presenting that, like... This is very clearly, like, a sad sack guy, but he's also in a position of, like, relative power. And I, I think he does a really good job of, like, at all times being able to convey both of those things perfectly. <laughs> uh, like, especially, like, the, the dinner with the boys is, I think, like, the best highlight of that. Just all around, just a very good, solid performance, like, through the entire episode. Fair enough. I also appreciate, like, the, the, the change in body language at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As he's, you know, uh, leaving, believing he's broken Reese's leg horribly. Refusing to look them in the eye. Yeah, just the, the, the like, slouched posture and the, the, like, looking around, unable to, like, meet anyone's gaze. Like, it's not, not just said you can see him doing it. I mean, it's just such a nice change from how he is the entire rest of the episode. <laughs> Fair enough. And what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, so I went with the mini bike. Okay. Now, mini bikes probably were out long before this. Um, I didn't go and do a ton of research. But uh, around 2001, 2012, uh, or 2012, <laughs> I meant 2001, 2002, when I was 11 or 12, <laughs> I remember mini bikes being, like, the big thing that I wanted. And I, I can remember, like, right around that time, and again, I don't... I didn't pay attention to when things came out. I just know that's when I started to see, like, those little, the mini crotch rockets, the, like, the ninja-based ones, you know, um, that were mock-ups of those, uh, were starting to be seen around town a lot. And I wanted one so bad, I 100% would have tried to get my friends together. And can you imagine Ryan and I trying to fix one of those things in the garage on that no. little Jackson? Yeah, exactly. But I totally would have tried if I'd have found one in the trash. 
And if I could have got one at like a garage sale or from the trash man for thirty bucks to fix up, I'd have done it. And so it, it it's very personal. It probably doesn't actually tie the episode for anyone else to that era, but for me, like just the mini bike within that era, because again, that's right around eleven or twelve for me, and that's when I started really wanting those for like pretty much from eleven to thirteen. I really wanted one of those. Yeah, no, I, I definitely associate mini bikes with, like, the early 2000s as well. That was my backup choice. Okay. My first choice uh, comes from the cold open, uh, and that is the DVD player. Yeah, right. And I did look into it a little bit, just to make sure. They, they were around for quite a bit before this. They originally came out in 97. Uh-huh. But... 2000 is when they first hit, like, the low-end DVD players costing $100. Yep. Which is, like, the sort of metric for, like, a, a good way to track, like, the proliferation of those things. Yeah. Well, especially with technology. Because, yeah. like, with Plasma, Plasma screen TVs were out dec a decade before anyone, you know, that you or I would have known owned one. Because right. when they first came out, they were $75,000. And we're talking, you know, the late 90s. $75,000 in the late 90s bought you a house in some places of the country. Yeah. Like... Yeah, and I mean, it, it makes sense to me that this is around the time that it would be reasonable for Hal to, like, expect a DVD player as a potential, like, big Christmas present. Yeah, because uh, I think it's still, what, four more years before they stopped making VHS? So I think it was 2005, 2006? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't look at that. I'd have to look it up, but somewhere around in there is when VHS... Like, they were still in circulation, but they went, okay, we're not making anymore. We're switching right. wholly over to DVD. And I want to say, yeah, it was still another four or five years from this point. Yeah, the uh, movies were definitely still coming out on VHS at this point. I, I know, because <laughs> I remember when my family got a DVD player, kind of. <laughs> I, I know that it was after 2002, because I got my PlayStation 2 as a, a Christmas present in 2002. Uh -huh. And for a long time, and well, in my memory, it's a long time. It could have been like a couple months, but I just remember it being very annoying that sometimes my, my parents would want me to bring out my PlayStation 2 to use as a DVD player. Yeah. <laughs> because we didn't have a family DVD player. That was the only one in the house. And someone let it slip that, you know, my video game console could do that. Yeah. So it, it was only a few years after this that my family got a DVD player. Potentially around the same time that Hal finally did. Because <laughs> he didn't get it in 2001. Right. <laughs> and which plot line did you choose as the A plot of your heart? I actually gave it to the F plot. Okay. Uh, as much as I love the shenanigans and so many of my other favorite parts came from the A plot, I the plot between uh, Hal and Francis just hits different. Just that the scene, the recognition on Hal's face and, and seeing him realize that there is this part of his son that he's proud of and seeing that sort of connection there, like, I get that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. It was really heartwarming and I love to see Hal and Francis and I, you like Francis, but like up to this point, most of the time he's just the adorable scamp at best. At worst, he's a miscreant or a monster. It's nice to be able to see him in episode where he actually is just one of their kids. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I, I do think I have a slightly different read on Francis, which might just be a result of having the foreknowledge of sort of his entire arc. I, I genuinely believe 
Francis is, is a glorious hero. <laughs> As I've said many times in this podcast. <laughs> it's just nice to see him finally getting recognition for that. I, for me. Look, no, I, I get it. Look, I judge Francis on an episode-by-episode basis, but right. overall, like, I get the whole sticking up for people and, and being proud of that. I mean, that was me. I mean, you look at hell, one of the whole reasons why I'm still friends with my brother before he was adopted. I, every fight I've ever been in in my life has been protecting him. Uh, I've always protected people. So I I get this. And, and to see Hal sort of realize that Francis sticks up for the little guy and isn't afraid to stand up to an authority figure who's abusing his power and become proud of that. I, I love seeing that. And it's I don't know. I just, like I said, it hits different, and yeah, I enjoy it. It's a very heartwarming plot line. It is. But I actually didn't choose as the A-plot for my, of my heart. It's okay I, to be I, wrong. I chose the A-plot. Well, I, I really like both, but in general, if given the choice, I'm going to choose the funniest plot line. And I feel like the A-plot is the funnier plot line. Oh, that's definitely true. Yes. I would agree with that. But I don't know. Like, I just go off of what I preferred more in that episode. And, I, like, it was a really... I don't know. It just... Yeah, it, no, that, that's fair. Yeah, it really, it really hits different for me. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I understand. But I'll, I'll, I'll actually talk about more of that in a second. But okay. I, I, I did go with the A-plot because... Uh, again, I, I just think it's the funnier of the two plot lines, and I think it just had too many great performances in it to, to, to not choose, sort of, intellectually, I guess. Fair. Yeah, I 100% voted off of emotion. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but going to our last awards, our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Ah, uh, yes. For, for least shitty kid, I did choose Francis. Correct. That okay. is the correct choice. Yes. Yes. Uh, Like you were saying, I think this is a great showing of why Francis is... Like, despite the shitty things he does, is a good kid. Uh, And it also sort of affirmed how I feel about Francis's confrontations with Spangler for the most part. Which is that Francis is... Yeah, he, he is the... To, to use my usual parlance, <laughs> the, the hero of the people standing against this authoritarian figure. It, see, I don't know if I go that far, but uh, that, that's obviously you know slight hyperbole. But right, but but he is Francis is a person, and and you get to see him as that. I mean, here, like you have the the foreknowledge of of all the shitty things that he's done and and you know you get to hear about one of his pranks it's just awful he's not well behaved he doesn't function well within societal rules he needs structure and all kinds of other things but regardless of all of that while he still has so many flaws he has empathy and he has the ability to not want other people to suffer and he's willing to take suffering on himself to avoid the suffering of other people. I I think you get to see a part of Francis that is hidden mostly through bravado and or you know uh, funny jokes and things like that through most of the show and and you get a real look at that this character you know he sees these things as true and and total injustices and he's willing to take the punishment upon himself so that someone else doesn't have to suffer. Yeah. 
And uh, I think this also sort of captures par part of why I like Francis so much, is that he's, to me, a, a great example of, uh, to, to use D&D terms, he's a good character, but he's not a lawful <laughs> character. He's like he's chaotic, a chaotic good. good. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that he, he very, like Spangler is right, that he has absolutely no respect for authority or you know, the rules, but he does have a, a fairly strong sense of morality and he is still a right. good person. The, the, those aren't, and in some ways I don't even want to say like those aren't impediments, but because I think that's so connected to the kind of good that he is. Like, like I feel like his disregard for authority is part of his goodness. It's connected to the, the particular... He's Robin Hood. Kind of, yeah, yeah. He is operating outside of the law and, and in a manner that, that you know, it is in total disregard for societal norms and rules or regulations, but it doesn't matter because he is helping people and he's doing things for other people. Now, some of the things that he does along the way are pretty shitty. Yeah. But he's also aware enough of his own actions and other people's that when it starts to affect people that he sees in a way that's unfair, then he, he stops it. Right. Especially from the authority. Yes. Because we've seen he's okay with manipulating and ripping people off and things like that. So, like again, he's got a long way to learn and grow and... and right. He, he is still, like, a scumbag teenager. Yeah. But he has that sense of morality that when he sees a system or a hierarchy or something that he's opposed to sort of putting an injustice on someone else, he, he can't not fight back against it. I, I think this episode sort of ends, like, some of his... Like, like, especially in season two, as opposed to season one, well, like the episode where, you know, he's doing the hunger strike and stuff like that, you can kind of see him developing from, like, the, the sort of archetypical shitty teenage trope into, like, a good adult. Yeah, you're starting to see more of, of defiance for reason rather than defiance for defiance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and on the flip side of that, who did you have as shittiest kid? And before you give your answer, we okay. we do have an outside opinion. Oh, no. No, 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 no. We are not going to do this. As we, as we were watching, we, we often watch these episodes with David's wife. No, don't give her any credence to this. And I love that woman, but she's insane. And after the episode was over, we, yeah, she, we were talking about it, and it came up, uh, yeah, she, she brought up that kid who punches his brother's broken leg, that little monster. It's okay for her to be wrong, all right? Okay, she's not right. There's a reason she's not on this podcast, okay? All right? Dewey is a perfect angel. My wife is very, very, very bad at judging people and has poor taste. I mean, she married me. This is this is all moot. Dewey is a perfect angel. Now, granted, he has brought down some pegs by his brother's shitty actions. And admittedly, I almost chose Malcolm for this episode. However, there is one scene and one scene alone that cements this. Yeah. Firmly. Yeah, yeah. It's Reese. Yeah, it's definitely Reese. And it might be Reese for forever because of this scene for me. Reese, so 
we skipped it earlier. We talked about the boys are, are going back and forth, and we get like this montage of each of the boys doing the thing and, and trying to convince Lois to let them use the mini bike. Reese's idea of convincing Lois is he ambushes her in the backyard with a sack in one hand and a bat in the other, and he says, Hey, I'll take care of that dog that barks in the middle of the night and wakes you up and wiggles the bat and then lifts the sack, implying he's going to hit the dog with the bat and either throw it in a river or bury it in the sack. He offers to kill a dog. Yeah. You're a monster. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to have to forget about this scene before I can ever... I've been rooting for Reese to become a decent human being, or at least a fraction of a human being, but this all humanity gone. His soul is lost. Hope is gone. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Yeah, no, that, I'm right there with you. That, that, that scene immediately cements Reese as the shittiest kid of this episode. Season. I mean, <laughs> he already had that crowd for a... Stop. For an earlier episode for me, but this definitely just doubled down on Reese is absolutely the no. shittiest of these kids. Look, the earlier thing, that was understandable. This, no. yeah, it was excusable. No. This is atrocious and horrible, and I can't believe, like, what? Yeah, I, listen, <laughs> Reese is kind of a sociopath. <laughs> he, he might legitimately be a sociopath. I had hope. I wanted him to be better. And occasionally there's glimpses that he might be. But generally, this is Reese. That hurt my heart, Jake. He let me down big. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we're, we're in agreement for this one. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Malcolm almost had it sealed, though, because he's a real piece of shit. But I, then see, that scene happened. <laughs> I would have given it to Dewey about Malcolm. What? You know Malcolm's the one who came up with the plan to frame Craig for running over frickin' Reese's leg. True, but... That's pretty shitty. Dewey! What, he punched Reese's leg? He punched his brother's broken leg! Ooh! <laughs> Ooh! That's not that bad. I feel like you're just saying it's not that bad because it's, you were upset with Reese. <laughs> first of all, that's not fair. Second of all, no! I say it's not that bad because you guys did the same kind of shit to me all the time. No. No? Nothing even close to that bad. Really? You don't remember the time that Ryan stepped on my foot when I had just broken my toe a week before at a martial arts event so no. that you guys could get away from me faster? No. Yeah, we were sparring and, and playing around and then Ryan was like, okay, you're it, and then stomps on my foot. I don't remember that. Yeah, it was fucking awful. I remember it. Fair enough. Okay, let me rephrase. <laughs> I never did anything <laughs> nearly that bad to you. I mean, you took advantage of it, is all I'm saying. You ran with everyone else. I probably didn't know what was going on. That's fair. You don't pay attention to other people. You're very selfish. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, but seriously, Reese, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, no. Re Re Reese is the worst. Yeah, and Dewey's just second worst. No, uh, but Re <laughs> Dewey is an angel and Malcolm is second worst. Not in this episode. Malcolm but, uh, frames someone for an illegal activity amongst other shitty stuff. Yeah, which Dewey helps him do. And he was brought along by his brothers. Look, he is influenced by their evil. You can see the pull. Moving on. Just because you're not the originator of the evil doesn't mean you're not evil for going along with it. Look, I'm not saying Dewey was not good in this. There's a reason Francis is the least shitty kid. Yeah, because he's a hero. In this episode, yeah. Right. L l let's move to our last segment. Ah, yes. Yes. Uh, my scorecard. Yes. Uh, David's guessing game. I feel like I did pretty decent on this one compared to the last two. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you actually did pretty solid on this one. For this episode, your guess of what would happen in Minibike was that the boys would either buy the Minibike from some sort of uh, shady figure or Hal would buy it for them behind Lois's back. I don't know if I'd qualify the Garbage Man as a shady figure, but they did buy it themselves. He's a Garbage sort of. Man who bought, who sold a trash Minibike to a bunch of kids for 30 bucks. I'm fine with that. You would be. <laughs> That, that, that is, you know, fairly close uh, to, to what happened. And then you went on to predict that someone, probably Reese, would get hurt, which is true, and you even gave as one of your potential guesses uh, for what the injury would be, a broken uh, bone. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I am going to give you a 92% for this Well, one. thank you. Write down your score. Yeah, that's right. Gotta keep track, Jake. It's important. Now we're getting close to the end of the season. I know. I'm scared. I had a couple really bad weeks there. <laughs> you, you had a couple really bad in a row. That's true. But for next week, what do you think happens in the episode Carnival? Carnival? All right. So I'm going to guess, and this is just a random, like, thought. Hal's going to have, like, a funnel cake thing somewhere in the episode. Like, I don't think it's going to be, like, a major feature. But I feel like if we see Hal in the Carnival, Hal's going to eat a funnel cake. <laughs> Or, like, really badly want one and Lois is going to hold him back. Okay. Because I feel like, of all the characters that are going to be, like, obsessed with Funnel Cake, Hal fits that type. Fair. But I think the boys are going to go to the carnival. I think they're going to, I don't know, ditch Lois or whatever. And I'm going to guess that... Oh, this is 2001 Carnival. I'm going to guess that Reese... Probably not Malcolm. Maybe Reese and Dewey, like, meet and sort of become friends with, like, the circus freaks that are probably still a part of the carnival at this point in time. Maybe even consider, like, joining the circus, because that seems like a real Reese and Dewey thing. And then I see Malcolm, like, no, I don't think we're going to get more Cynthia in this. But, I don't know, Malcolm's going to be doing something at the carnival, I'm sure. Maybe a new girl or something. Or maybe complaining. You know what? No, that's what I'm going to go with. Because fucking Malcolm. He's going to be bitching about all the rides. And how the carnival has this and that. And he never gets to do anything. And how the rides suck. And blah, 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 blah. And I don't know, just bitching about everything. Because he's Malcolm. And he's at the carnival, which is a place where kids his age are supposed to have fun. But he can't fucking enjoy life. So... You can put down Malcolm bitches, Reese and Dewey meet the freaks, they get infatuated with them, and they want to run away with them. Okay. Oh, and Hal Funnel Cake. And Hal Funnel Cake, yeah. yes. Yeah, but Got that's it. like a side note. Gotcha. Admittedly, that's only going to happen if Hal is at the carnival. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. Uh, that's where you can vote in our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls and uh, stay up to date with our episodes and everything. You can also reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. And if you like the banter back and forth here and want to come join us live, you can head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathrate, where we stream video games, have fun, and chat with you guys as well as each other about all kinds of different things. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.